Welcome to the Christian Life Austin Wednesday Evening Podcast. Today's message is Alter Ego Part 1 by Lead Pastor Rex Johnson. I want to I talk to you tonight on the subject Alter Ego. Alter Ego. Now, uh, I, I want to talk to you about inadequacy, my feelings about inadequacy. Anybody ever felt inadequate? We're going to talk about that tonight. We're going to talk about alter ego. And you're saying, Pastor, I've already seen a, a faux pas. I've seen a mistake here. Um, you've misspelled alter. Uh, no, I hadn't. We'll talk about alter ego, not A-L-T-E-R. I'm going to talk about A-L-T-A-R. Because when you put, when you put yourself on the altar, God has a way of changing everything about you. So we're going to talk about it tonight. Turn to somebody that you like the most and say, I want to help the preacher. And then turn to that other person that you like less and say, I'm going to help the preacher. Amen. And you may be seated in the name of the Lord. God bless. God bless. If you know anything about Old Testament history or maybe about history, you'll know that for centuries and centuries, an altar was a place where believers would sacrifice something meaningful before God. Or lay something down before God at an altar. You know that. An ego is who we think we are, who we believe that we are. That's what an ego is. Unfortunately, some of us think too highly of ourselves. And some of us think too lowly of ourselves. And what we want to do over the next few weeks is we want to lay down our ego, what we think of ourselves, at the altar of God, A-L-T-A-R. So that we will not be who we think we are or what others think we are, but we'll become who God thinks that we are. Tonight, we're going to talk about having to lay down our feelings of inadequacy. We all have those feelings, feelings of inadequacy, and we're going to give those to God by faith at his altar tonight. Next couple of weeks, we're going to talk about the need for control in my life, and we become sometimes control freaks. We're going to talk about the right to be offended in our life, and we're going to talk about longing for approval in our life. There's some things we need to lay on God's altar and understand that God is for us. I don't know about you, but it's amazing to me how quickly I can feel incredibly inadequate. And you say, Pastor, you're 64 years old. Yeah, that's true. But I can go home on a Sunday, honest to God. I can go home on a Sunday and think about a few words that I said in the, in, the, in the platform, in the pulpit. And I can go home and think about a statement I made. And I said, nut, what are you doing talking like that? What happens, you get beside yourself sometime when this thing called the anointing comes on you. And you say things, and it's already out before you, oh, God, that wasn't in my notes. That wasn't there. And for three days, I can feel like, wow, I wonder if anybody will show back up at church on Wednesday. Because I messed up so bad. Maybe it's comparing yourself with someone that's financially successful. And you think, what's wrong with me? Why do they have that and I have this? Maybe you drive by one day to a really nice neighborhood of homes and you say, what do these people do for a living? What do they do? I mean, I'm so stupid, I don't even know what they do. And I feel inadequate because I don't even measure up to think what they do. I did a wedding in a 55,000-square-foot home in Austin, Texas. I did a wedding there. Believe it or not, the people were very nice to me. In fact, they really liked me. In fact, they hung around me. And I thought, well, I got me some new Christians at the church. 
And every time I play golf at a particular golf course, I look at that house and I say, God, it's going to happen one day in the name of the Lord. It's going to happen. But when I walked out of there, I thought, wow, I'm going back to my hut now. (laughs) Or you can go to a friend's house, you ladies, and her, her house is perfect. And you walk in and it smells good. And your smell like dirty laundry. But her smells perfect. And you walk in and the food is served on time. And her hair is done. And her nails are done. And you love her because she's your friend, but you hate her. (laughs) Because she looks so perfect. Why can't I live up to that? Or maybe you're a student and you know your friend is smart, your friend is popular. And you study your backside off. And you make B's and C's and your friend doesn't even study and he makes all A's. And you go to the show alone and your friend has seven invitations to go to the same show. What's wrong with me? What don't I measure up like he or she does? Or sometimes, I don't know if you've ever felt this way, but I have felt spiritually inadequate at times. And if you're a Christian and you're around like some super Christian, somebody talks in tongues every two minutes and then gives a personal interpretation, it's always good and it's never the same. And you just bring up something and they say, oh, yeah, that reminds me of 2 Chronicles chapter 12 and verse 14. And then they quote it. They quote that scripture from memory. They don't have to look it up. And you say, how do they do that? Is that a book in the Bible? Is that in the Old or New Testament? How do you do that? Or they pray and their prayers are like, wow. God, where'd they get those words? And God's up there saying, wow, I'm impressed with that prayer. And they ask you to pray, and you go Ben Stiller on them and meet the parents. <laughs> oh, Lord, day by day, day by day. Oh, Lord, these things we pray day by day. Or even better yet, Clark Griswold in vacation when he's putting Aunt Edna on the back porch. And he's praying for the Philistines in Moab. You know it. You've seen it. Don't act like you're holy on me. You've seen that. And she says, Clark, can't you be a little more, little more respectful to Aunt Edna? He said, my Lord, she's dead. She's dead. So you're unholy. You feel unholy. And you pray. Okay, they say, ask, ask, ask prayer for the food. Rub-a-dub-dub, thank God for the grub. That's all you know. That's all you know. That's the only thing you know because you are not on that level. And if you feel that way, I totally and completely relate. I think for me, I've always felt like I've had to prove. I... I was a member of a, of a fellowship at one time. I always felt like I had to prove myself and live up to some standard because I never felt good about myself. I always kind of carried around a little guilt complex. And pastors do that a whole lot. And evangelists do that. And preachers do that. We feel like that we don't measure up. And as a young adult, I don't ever know when I felt any more inadequate. When I held my first baby girl, Misty, and she was, she was just a few hours old when I held her. And her mother had suffered 21 hours in labor, and it looked like we was going to lose Misty, but we was going to try to save my, my wife. And, and then Misty was born, and thank God she's alive today, and she's doing well and has two precious boys. And in my mind, I'm thinking, I don't know what it takes to be a dad. And I go back in my mind, and I'm thinking, okay, I just, I just had to turn down somebody offering me a dog because the thing that I'm living in, we can't have a dog in this thing. And, and everything I touch, every house plant I touch, I kill. And here I am holding this human being in my arms. And I just remember the sense of overwhelming inadequacy. I really did. And then you add to that what I did for a living. I was an evangelist. 
And we had a 25-foot travel trailer, a prowler. And it had one bedroom. And, it, and, and, and the bed was three-quarters bed. It wasn't even a full bed. And I made max $150 a week. And the doll and daughter that I held in my arms didn't even have a, a bedroom. She had to sleep on the kitchen table in a bassinet. And I was, I was so bad, I nearly killed her one day when I gave her prunes when she was four weeks old to try to get her stuff going. Because I thought prunes worked. Nobody told me you had to be older than four weeks to take them. And on the way to the ER that day, and I'll never forget, the person that drove me to the ER was Pastor Homer Green. I was preaching for him. On the way to the ER that day, I was telling God, I'm not meant to be a daddy. I'm terrible. I felt so inadequate. I'm not the man for this. My job, my house, my understanding of babies. And besides that, I'm not even holy enough to be a dad. Because I hear people talk about staying up all night praying for the kids. I got to have sleep. I can't do that. I need rest. We all battle with our ego and these beliefs of inadequacy. But let's just build a quick foundation. Then we're going to look into the word of God. The story of Gideon to help us lay down some things that I think will help us become who God calls us to be. I want to give you three quick things here. Three quick reasons why I think we feel inadequate. Number one, many times we've received unfair criticism. Say it, say it. You know as well as I know that it takes... 12 positive statements to override sometimes three or four negative statements in your life. Somewhere along the way in your life, someone told you, you don't measure up. You don't have what it takes. I don't even like you as a child. I wish I'd never had you. You're pathetic. You're never going to amount to anything. You've heard these kind of things. I wish you were more like your brother, your sister. I wish you could get some sense. And internally, those messages have burned on the hard drive of your ego. And anytime you want to do something significant in life, you just hear those old messages replayed and they tap your inner me that says, I'm not adequate. I'm not capable to do this because you take unfair and receive unfair criticism in your life. The second reason I think that we feel inadequate is that we receive unrealistic compliments, just the opposite. You're the best, we say to kids. You're amazing. No one's as good as you. And inside we're going... You don't know me. I'm not that good. I'm not that amazing. And it's my theory that we've really done a disservice to the emerging generation that I love so much. The now 20-somethings, listen to me, who we told all their life, you're good at everything you do. You know, back in the day when I was a kid, when I was growing up, you actually had to be good at something to win an award. Anybody remember that? You had to win to get a trophy. You had to medal to get a medal. I remember going home to track meets when I was in junior high because I was a fast kid. I was a fast kid, but I, there was a kid from Seminole that could outrun me. And I always prayed he'd break a leg or have, have a bad day. <laughs> and he'd always edge me out. I ran the 50-yard dash. I ran the 100-yard dash. And I could take him sometime in the 50, but I was not, I was not that good at, at long runs. And so that's why I don't even think about marathons today. Because I can't do it. But nowadays, you show up. You just show up. You don't have to do anything. Here's your trophy, son. You did great. Well, what did I do? Well, you showed up. You know, I mean, you used to have to graduate 12 grades before you graduated. And now, I know I'm getting, I know I'm getting on some of your nerves. 
but now you graduate kindergarten. Way to go, son. You got through kindergarten. Hang in there. <laughs> Woo! Won't be long. You'll graduate to first grade. I'm not trying to be caustic. It's just the way it is. And people are saying, I don't feel that good. Here's where people think I am. Here's where I really am. And there's a vast discrepancy between what they think and what they're saying about me and what I really know about myself. Therefore, we have a whole generation that's paralyzed by fear of failure. I don't even want to try because if I try, I may not be good enough because you think I'm up here, but I know the real me. I'm down here and I feel incredibly inadequate in my life. The third reason we become inadequate, we feel inadequate is not only unfair criticism or unrealistic compliments, but we get unwise comparisons with other people. And we do that even in our adult life. We compare ourselves among ourselves instead of comparing ourselves to the Word of God. Say amen to that. We just look around to other people and say, you know, I'm not like them. That woman's beautiful and I'm not. That man is handsome and he's got hair. And he's got a six-pack, and I'm not talking about something from the Spirit Corporation. He's got a six-pack, six pack, and I've got one of these watermelons. <laughs> and he's bright, and he's brilliant. Or I don't have the fruit of the Spirit like those other Christians. In fact, I read an article that said social media is now one of the greatest causes of feelings of inadequacy in people's lives. Because you upload your picture of your peanut butter and jelly sandwich for dinner, and then your friend's picture of lobster... Is posted with a wedding ring beside it sitting on the beach in Hawaii. <laughs> and you're going, my life is down the tubes. I don't go on vacations, and I don't have any movie stars for friends. And you know, I've only got 172 followers on Instagram, and they've got 912. I don't have friends. I'm a loser. <laughs> One pastor said it this way, and you better write this down. We compare others' highlight reels with our behind-the-scenes. Write that down. We compare others' highlight reels with our behind the scenes. We look at the highlight reels of everybody else's life, and we know the behind the scenes of our life. We see their kids, and their kids look perfect, and we know we just yelled at our kids, and we're out, and our kids have, don't even have matching socks on, and we're out in the public, and we see other families' kids worshiping in church, and we know our internal doubt. They look all beautiful and put together and we don't like things about our appearance and we feel very inadequate because we're comparing our behind the scenes with their highlight reels. And suddenly our ego starts to tell us we're not what we're not. Tells us what we're not when God wants to tell us what we are. Now I want to talk to you. Now I got your attention. I want to talk to you. There's three things. I want to look at the story of of Gideon today. If you have your Bibles, if you don't, just look at the screen here. You don't have to stand. We're already seated and we're talking. Judges 11 through 16 says, The angel of the Lord came and sat down under an oak at Orphrah that belonged to Joash from somewhere, Azite, Azarite, whatever, where his son Gideon was threshing wheat in a wine press. Say wine press to keep it from the Midianites. I want you to press the pause button right here and listen to me. What was Gideon doing? He was threshing wheat in a wine press. Anyone knows in the old days you had to thresh wheat on somewhere high because the wind would blow and take the shaft away so that the real wheat could fall to the ground, the heavy wheat. 
It was called a winnowing process. And yet he's hiding in a wine press, afraid of the Midianites. Verse 12 said, when the angel of the Lord appeared to Gideon, he said, Lord, the Lord is with you. Watch this, mighty warrior. Say mighty warrior. If I'd have been there, if you'd have been there, I would have told him the truth. I'd say the Lord is with you, you mighty wuss. That's what I'd have said. You're hiding. You're a scaredy cat. Nanny, nanny, boo-boo, you're scared of everything in you. We'd all been doing that. But the Lord saw something in him that he didn't see in himself. Oh, I could preach right now. The Lord always sees something in us. Because he loved us while we were yet sinners. He died for us. Because he saw past the sin to the soul that wanted to be right in the sight of God. Verse 13 says, Gideon replies, but sir, if the Lord is with us, why has all this happened to us? Where are all the wonders that you foretold us about when they said, did the Lord not bring us up out of Egypt? But now the Lord has abandoned us and put us in the hands of the Midianites. In verse 14, the Lord turned to him and said, go in the strength that you have and save Israel out of Midian's hands. My, my granddaughter's getting with me. Am I not sending you? Would you hush her, baby? But Lord, how can I save Israel? My clan is the weakest in Manasseh, and I am the least of my family. In other words, my family is the weakest in the whole tribe of Manasseh, and I'm the weakest in my family. That's kind of inadequate. But you might say it this way I'm not talented, I'm not good on stage, I can't sing. I'm not that bright. I'm not as godly. Or I, If you knew all that I had done, I don't look like her. I don't act right. But God has already told you you can. But the inner man says you can't. Verse 16, the Lord answered and said, I will be with you. He's already called him a mighty man of valor. But he said, I will be with you. And you will strike down all the Midianites together. Here's what we're going to do. We're going to lay our ego down at the altar of God. Because we're not who we think we are. We're going to become who God says we are. Anybody want to hear what God says about you tonight? Clap your hands real big. Number one, here's what I want to tell you, a little Bible study. Remember that God's view of you is different than you think. <laughs> that's simple, Pastor. Well, that's what I am. I'm simple. The Lord says, I'm with you. And the Lord calls him what? A mighty warrior. A mighty man of bravery and courage. The Pharaoh in Egypt said to his leaders one day, the Israelites are mightier than us. And Israel was an Egyptian bondage. And the devil looked at these people and said, they're mightier than us. And he said, the Hebrews are going to fortify. They're going to become friends with our enemy and they'll overpower us. 
So what we have to do is afflict them and put taskmasters over them. Even the enemy saw in them what they didn't see in themselves. Rahab, the harlot on the walls of Jericho, asked the two spies, where have you been? Forty years ago, when you come across the Red Sea, our hearts melted with fear because we knew the day you crossed the Red Sea, we were history. You were going to come and possess this land. You, we knew you was going to be conquered. God sees more in you than you see in yourself. When a Pharaoh can see in the Israelites something greater than he is. When a harlot can see in people something greater than what they are. What do you think God sees in you? What do you think the Holy Ghost has done in your life? God sees you as adequate. Huh? We moved to St. Louis several years ago. Patty and I got married. Patty and I got married in February. I better know the date here. February 12th. 1982. Thank you, Jesus, for that. That wasn't in my notes. <laughs> and the next year, that fall, she had turned 24 and we moved to St. Louis. At our first midwinter, I was the youth president of an organization. And in our first midwinter, my wife was 24 years old. She had been a pastor's wife for eight months. And now we moved to St. Louis, and when midwinter came, it was in January. She had to entertain all the youth president's wives while I instructed all the youth presidents and tried to rally them to raise money for a cause of missions. And she had to speak to all the wives. She was younger than any of them there. She looked at me one day. She said, I can't do this. I said, you shouldn't have married me. She said, well, you didn't tell me this is going to happen. I said, I didn't know it was going to happen. I said, but you're going to do it. You're going to be the best that you can ever be in your life this midwinter. You're going to be awesome. You're going to be flawless. You're going to be wonderful. And you know what she did? She took it on. She said no to the feeling of inadequacy and said yes to what God thought she could do. She stepped up. She organized great things for three days for those women, and they left saying, we don't want to go home. We want to stay with Sister Patty because she's the coolest woman we've ever been around in our life. And I'm married to her. <laughs> you can do what God says you can do. Then she took on Misty at seven years of age. Misty was seven. And Patty had never been a natural mother. And yet motherhood grabbed her before she even became a mom. And she became the number one mom in the PTA. In the schools in St. Louis. Because she went up there one day and said, my daughter is not going to watch some movies that y'all showing. And so they made her the Rex Reed, the movie critic of all the things that they're going to show to the kids. And all the mothers became so appreciative of Patty because Patty would take a stance on the right and the wrong kind of movies. I'm going to tell you, you can do some things when you don't think you can do some things because God thinks more of you than you think of yourself. Are you with me? Are you with me? You quit thinking that you can't do it. You can do it because God knows you can. He didn't make junk. He made you in his image. 
And I remember one day, Patty came home and said, baby, I got so many compliments today. They said, Misty looks just like me. The other day, we was at a store, and somebody said, your daughter looks just like you. And every time Misty hears that, she's not here tonight, but she'll get the tape. She just goes crazy because she's so happy that she looks like Patty. That's neat. I just, that's just a little human interest. Ephesians 2 and 10 said, for we are God's masterpiece. Say, we're God's masterpiece. He created us anew in Christ Jesus so we can do the good things he prepared and planned for us long ago. Everybody say, I'm a new creature in Christ Jesus. Get out of my way. Negative thinking. Get out of my way. Inadequacy thinking. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me because it's not what I think about me that matters. It's what God thinks about me that matters. And God says I can. And if God says I can, I can. A prophecy was given in the Bible about a king that would come and destroy the works of Baal 350 years before his birth. He came. The king came. And he brought righteousness to Israel. I love stories like that. I enjoy things like that. I love stories in Scripture. When everybody else looked at Rahab in the Old Testament, they saw a harlot, a prostitute. What did God see? God didn't see a harlot. God saw someone whose heart would be turned toward him and would one day marry a godly man named Salmon. And in their prodigy and in their genealogy, they would produce the Savior of the world, Jesus Christ. While others saw a prostitute, God saw divine potential. Many saw David as a child. They saw him as a little shepherd boy. But God saw him as different. God saw him as a warrior, able to stand up against a giant and not only stand up against him, but defeat him. And when others saw David as an adulterer, when he sinned and fell, like many of us have, others saw him in one way, but God saw him as a man who sought the heart of God more than anything else. When Peter messed up again and again and again and again and again and couldn't seem to get it right, what did Jesus see in Pete? Jesus saw a rock. Jesus didn't see a reed. He saw a rock. Because you've got to get past the feelings. His view is different than what you think. Second thing I want to tell you is God has given you more than you think. But I say he's, his view is different. And he's given you more than you could ever think. Everybody say, he's giving me more than enough. Everybody say, it's abundant life. Everybody say, it's abundant life. It's the live 10 life. I will give you life and that more. Can somebody say abundant? Can somebody say abundant? God didn't tell Gideon, you need to go take a class. Before you whip these Midianites, you got to go to a Votech school. You got to read a book. In verse 14, he simply says, Go in the strength you have. Go use the strength I've already given you. God told Jeremiah, when Jeremiah was fussing at him, saying, I am only a youth, God said, Don't you ever say that again. Don't you ever say, I am only. 
three words a saint should never use is I am only. I tell you what you are. You're a child of God. And God has given you more than enough. Boy, I feel like preaching right now, but I'm trying to shut this thing down. Don't you ever say I am only. Don't you ever say I am only. You are what God called you to be. And God calls you to be his child. And if God is for you, who can be against you? Greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. You are more than enough. You're more than a conqueror. I don't measure up. I'm not good enough. I'm not attracted enough. When I was growing up, I could always rally people. I really could before I was ever a preacher. But I had trouble articulating and how to say some things. Back when I was a kid, we used to have, we used to have testimony service. Anybody ever been to one of the kind of churches? Come on, raise your hand. I know it dates you, and I know it puts you in some funky Pentecostal sets. And you don't want to admit you went to a funky Pentecostal set, but raise your hand. And if you didn't testify, they'd call you out. Brother Rexy, you got the victory? I'm 13 years old. Do I have the victory? Do you have the victory? I want you to stand up and testify, Brother Rexy. You hadn't testified tonight. You got the victory? Well, that just kind of messes with your mind. And I'd say, God, what am I going to say? What am I going to say? Oh, God. I praise the Lord tonight. Eyes closed because he first loved me. Pray for me, I'll make heaven my home. And I'd sit down and so help me, I had one pastor say, Brother Rexy, you didn't answer the question. Do you have the victory tonight? I almost couldn't like that man. And I had to stand back up. In front of that huge crowd of 22. (laughs) And say, yes sir, I have the victory. And if I didn't look up at him and tell him that, he'd say, look up here and tell me that. If you ask me at church what his name is, I'll tell you because he really did live. He's dead and gone, but he really did live. He never made his kids testify. Never. Never. But Brother Rexy... Had to testify. And this articulating problem is still in my life. That's why sometimes on Sundays I don't feel good about the sermon that I preach because I've let my tooth, my tongue get in front of my eye tooth and I can't see what I'm saying. And I'm not a silver tongued orator. It's just not going to happen sometime in my mouth. I don't care how much scope I use. It's not going to happen. You know how I got most of my dates in high school? I probably had seven in all of high school. And I went, I went to a girl's house one time after I was preaching. She invited me over to her house, her and her buddy, and they invited me over. And I went over there, and she knew I was preaching. And she told me, she said, every girl in the school wanted to date you. I said, thanks for telling me now. <laughs> But I used to like to just kind of hang around girls, you know, and I was their buddy. And, 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 and girls would finally say, do you want to ask me something? Do you want to, like, take me out or something? Yeah. 
That's how I got most of my dates. You'd never think that this preacher had that kind of personality, that I was that shy, but I was. But I had the victory. That's funny. I don't care who you are. Second Peter 1 and 3 said, God's divine power has given us everything we need for life. Say everything. Everything. Not something. Everything. And godliness. Through our knowledge of him who called us by his glory and by his goodness. Do not believe the inner message that goes on in your spirit that tells you you can't. You can. God's view is different than you think. And God has given you more than you think. But God, I'm not a stage person. Jesus is saying, yeah. And behind the scenes, those who serve are the greatest. You may not be a six-figure guy today, but you may be a six-child parent today. And you're envious of that six-figure guy, and he and his wife may not have children. And you've got six beautiful children. There's a difference in being rich and wealthy. And we got a lot of both in this church. What I love is rich people that know they're wealthy because they have a God factor in their life. And what I want people to know is when they're wealthy, they're rich because they have a God factor in their life. It's not what you hold in your hand. It's what you have in your heart. Say amen. Amen. So people say, I don't know how to talk to people, Pastor. I'll tell you what you can do. You can be a good listener. I told a story here years ago, and I'm going to tell it again about an old man that sold meat on the street. He was a butcher. He sold meat on the street, and he, he was a, the kindest butcher that people had ever seen. People would come in, they'd tell him about their kids being born, about grandpa dying, about mom and dad coming to visit, and the old butcher, while he was cutting up their hamburger or while he was cutting their steak, he'd be listening to them. One day, a big, huge supermarket built across, town, across the street, and somebody walked in and asked the old butcher, said, do you think you're going to go out of business? He said, oh, we'll just have to see. What's we'll have to see? About two months later, they noticed in the big supermarket they're selling everything in the world except meat products. And somebody walked up to the manager of the big store and said, Why aren't y'all selling meat? He said, The meat's not selling here. He said, Well, they got an old man across the street there. He's got something we don't have. And they said, What's that? He said, He listens. We don't have time to listen. It's time for some of us to not worry about talking so much. It's time to start listening to what people have to say and start helping people. Amen? Amen? I got to quit. I got to quit. I got to quit. So number one, God's view of us is different than what you think. Number two, God's given you more than you could ever think. Everybody say, God sees me different. And God's given me more than enough. And number three, it's less about you than you think. It's really not about us. You don't have to feel inadequate because it's not about you. Do you think God ever feels inadequate? The Bible said he never grows weary. He's not faint. But he gives strength to those that are faint. 
And he lifts people up whose arms are hanging down. That's what God does. God is not somebody who's fainting. He's not somebody who's weak and has lost his mind with weariness. But God is a God who is faithful to us. Verse 16 said, I will be with you and you will strike down all the Midianites as one man. I will be with you and you'll strike them down. And when, he, when Gideon won, they said the sword of the Lord and of Gideon. It was almost like they were saying it was the same sword. God's sword and Gideon's sword were working together. Because God Almighty is going to work with us. It's more about him than it is about me. Several years ago, there was a Dennis the Menace cartoon that grabbed my attention. Dennis is walking away from the next door neighbor's house, the home of Mr. and Miss Wilson, you know, that he loved very much. And Joey, the little kid that he's mentoring, God. <laughs> Have I ever told you this? I had a, I had a friend in, in Ohio that baptized Dennis Ketchum. He baptized Dennis the Menace. I asked him if he held him down. He said, a long time. <laughs> he baptized him. Both lads had their hands loaded with cookies. And Joey asked, I wonder, Dennis, what we did to deserve this. And Dennis says, with profound wisdom, look, Joey, Mrs. Wilson gives us cookies not because we're nice, but because she's nice. And that's the gospel. It's not what we do. Because you can't earn it. We're saved by grace through faith. It's not that we earn anything. I remember the story of Paul, his conversion. He was persecuting the church and dragging Christians out of homes and killing them. And one day he saw a light and God knocked him off his horse. It's hard to relate to such a dramatic conversion, but there it is. I remember the story of Matthew's conversion, the tax collector. God comes by. Jesus comes by one day. He's sitting at a tax collection table, and the Lord says, get up and follow me. And Matthew stood up and followed the Lord. Didn't even have time to think about it. I remember the story of Nathaniel. Nathaniel was sitting under a fig tree, and his brother comes to him, Philip, and says, hey, I want you to go meet somebody. There's a man from Nazareth named Jesus. And Nathaniel says, can any good thing come out of that one donkey town? Can anything good come out of Nazareth? But when he saw Jesus, he said, Rabbi, you're the son of God. But then there's the call of Simon Peter. And Luke tells it this way. The story is far more satisfying the way Luke tells it. Simon wasn't sure that he fit to the whole Jesus business. He had this inadequate problem. It took some time for him to figure it out. And even then, he had some misgivings. Here's what he said. Get away from me, Lord. I'm not a good enough person for you. And Jesus, Jesus looked at him, and I'm going to paraphrase Jesus. He said, boy, if you could only see what I've got in store for you. Not only are you going to be a rock, you're going to be the first guest evangelist on the day of Pentecost. You're going, to, you're going to be the man with the revelation I'm going to build the whole church on. And you say, you're not good enough for me? 
you listen to this pastor tonight on this Wednesday night. You listen to me tonight. There is nobody in this house that is not good enough for God. None of us would ever get there. But God so loved the world. That's what it's all about. It's not me getting good enough to get him. It's God loving me enough to come to where I am to save me in the condition that he found me in. That's what it's all about. Get past that feeling of inadequacy. You are adequate because it's not really that much about you. It's about him. It's about him. It's about him. Woo! Hallelujah. Hallelujah. So when I was told as a young man, when I was trying to preach, I couldn't find a text with a search warrant. And the pastor told me you ought to go back home and get in construction work. And I almost believed it. I almost did. And then I went by one of my friend's house. He's dead and gone now. I knocked on his door and I said, you have anything to eat? That's like asking a giraffe, do you have a long neck? Or a peacock, do you have some plumage? Whatever they call that thing. That's like asking a turtle if he has a shell. You know, this man always had something to eat. He was big as a kitchen. He always had something cooking. He brought me in his house and the next 30 minutes, he looked at me and he preached to me like nobody's ever preached to me. And he wore me out. And he said, son, don't you ever, don't you ever feel inadequate. Don't you ever feel like you can't do anything. God called you and you will be successful in the kingdom of God. And I pass that on to this church tonight. God has saved you. And we're all successes in the kingdom of God. You hear me? Clap your hands and get on your feet right now. Get on your feet right now. We're, we're going to alter our ego. We're going to alter our ego. We're going to put our ego down. This feeling of inadequacy. We're going to recognize what God says about us, not what we think about ourselves. Come on, clap your hands real big. Hadn't God been good? Hadn't it been a wonderful service tonight? Hadn't God been good tonight? Hadn't God been good tonight? Oh, magnify the Lord with me right now. Thank you for listening to the Christian Life Austin podcast. For more information, please visit clcaustin.com.